0: Episode 16 of the Fire Safety Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated fire industry. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Fire Safety Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Fire Safety Event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 7th, 8th and 9th of September 2021. To register for the show, visit www.firesafetyevent.com. As ever, I'm joined on the Fire Safety Matters podcast by my colleague Mark Sennett, the CEO at Western Business Media. Hi Mark, how are you? I'm good, thanks Brian. How are you? Yes, I'm doing very well, thanks Mark. We're working on the December edition of the magazine at the moment.
1: Yeah, lots of good stuff in there and uh, there's been quite a bit of news Is obviously it's been a month since our last edition of the Fire Safety Matters podcast and a lot to go through. So as always, In between the podcasts, you can get all the latest news from Brian on our website, which is www.fsmatters.com. And there you can sign up to our newsletter that you can get once a week for free, or you can sign up to get a copy of FSM five times a year for free through the website. And of course, you'll see our list of webinars in the webinars tab there. You can watch any of our CPD created webinars on demand for free. And in fact, we have one. If you're listening on the day this drops, which is Wednesday, the 25th of November, we're actually doing a webinar this morning, which I'm hosting, which will be with advanced and the Institute of Fire Safety Managers on protecting educational premises from fire. If you are listening to this after that webinar's happened don't worry you can watch it on demand for free. So click on the webinars tab of fsmatters.com. So that's enough self-promotion of all the stuff that we can give you. Let's get straight into the news Brian. Tell us what your top story you want to cover this week is.
0: Well, do, Mark. well as many of our readers will be aware The Fire Sector Federation has been working diligently with other professionals and the Home Office to support the implementation of a revised Regulatory Reform Fire Safety Order 2005 and introduce fire doors and external walls to building risk assessment procedures. The Federation has duly highlighted that this change is likely to both increase demand and exceed capacity for fire risk assessors who, in the wake of the Grenfell Tower tragedy, experiencing real problems in securing personal indemnity insurance, while at the same time also being expected to help assess more complex structures, Mark. Despite these issues, the overriding aim has remained that of ensuring competent fire risk assessors are available to help improve fire safety in general. The Federation itself is fully supportive of the introduction of further new measures that, by using systematic risk-based guidance, will lead to a prioritisation approach towards helping to identify the fire risk status for a given building such that those presenting the highest threat to life are afforded the foremost priority when it comes to immediate action. Now, amendments of the Regulatory Reform Fire Safety Order to ensure this risk-based guidance has statutory power is therefore very welcome, Mark, as it provides encouragement and confidence to all those responsible for premises to undertake their implementation of the revised Fire Safety Order. Fire Sector Federation Executive Officer Dennis Davis has commented on this matter. He has said, and I quote, It's pleasing to see the proposed changes designed to improve fire safety being translated into practice. Over the summer months, a group of operational experts, including fire risk assessors, have worked to provide advice to the Home Office on appropriate and workable way in which to commence the fire safety bill. One key aspect of their advice was to offer guidance to support the responsible person, the fire sector in general, and indeed fire and rescue services with fire risk prioritisation guidance to be continuously developed under the technical leadership of the National Fire Chiefs Council. If that guidance is followed, Mark, this will undoubtedly assist in demonstrating proof of compliance with the changes in law, which in future will include the cutting of buildings. What are your thoughts on this one, Mark? Well, actually,
1: there's not a whole lot to add here in the sense that when you talk about the crux of this story, Brian, that the fact that the Fire Sector Federation, of which you know we, we sit as Proud members of the Fire Sector Federation that they're saying that um, any amendment to the FSO should see the introduction of fire doors and external wards to building risk assessment procedures. You can't disagree with that. I mean, if Grenfell has taught us anything in terms of the multitude of failings that are starting to come out of why that tragedy happened, external walls, passive fire protection, fire doors, your foot on part of that should be. I completely agree, should form part of um, risk assessment procedures. They absolutely should do. I I can't disagree with it at all. And we've debated many times, Brian, on here and with others. It's still staggering that we work within a sector where you would just naturally expect people that carry out fire safety work to be competent in doing so. We've gone back to the old Corgi, um, which is always a gas safe register now, where you have to have proof that you are competent to carry this out and and competency and identifying the role of the responsible person is absolutely fundamentally key to making sure you know buildings and people are safe and protected from fire so the FSF is in the way on this as a people like BAFE and like I've said on this podcast many times before this is the hot topic in the sector right now and of course the FSF are going to welcome this news and you know, this, this is something along with a fire safety bill that's going to keep on going and going. And the latest I've heard for anyone of any interest of when the fire safety bill and the building safety bill will receive royal assent is they're very much hoping to do so by the back end of the summer next year, which anyone that pays any attention to legislation in this sector Brian will know it is quite the monumental achievement for this sector to have any legislation passed at any time, let alone two major pieces of legislation in one year. So with a conservative majority that's there and a willingness to push this through, the latest I'm hearing is it will be the summer that it comes into reality. So that's something we'll talk more about with Warren Spencer at some point. So. Brian, I'm going to go on to a news story that caught my eye, if that's okay. Uh, It's a a European story. Um, It's an international story, really, um, which is somewhat timely, Brian, considering we are marching towards Brexit for the 1st of January, and UKCA marking is really topical at the moment, and I'll I'll come back to that. So the story that you wrote that I wanted to to talk about was worldwide fire safety standard recognised by the United Nations. The United Nations, or the UN, has voted for the first time to publish a UN ECE standard, a new globally consistent and internationally recognised approach to fire safety of all buildings, both old and new, which the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, which is RICS, has helped to shape as part of the International Fire Safety Standards Coalition, which is IFSS. So the International Fire Safety Standards' common principles, which again is IFSSCP, is an industry-led global response to criticism that differing or no requirements from countries across the world have put the health and well-being of people in jeopardy by creating greater risk of death or injury from fire the unprecedented vote at the un follows the launch of the standard on the 5th of october this year and a parallel presentation and it invites representatives of national and local governments and stakeholders to apply common principles to promote the safety of buildings amid mounting public concern over the regulation and control of fire safety measures following a number of high profile fires which resulted in lives being lost or property destroyed at present The many contrasting approaches have resulted in significant variations in all design approval, construction methods, product testing and operation of buildings, all of which vary the probability and the outcome of fire depending on the regulatory area. So before I bring you into this, Brian, it's also worth saying that this all kind of ties into the concern for many. Is at the moment, things like CE marking, which has become custom on fire safety products, what's going to happen when we leave the European Union properly at the end of the year and be replaced by the UK CA marking? This is something that really deeply concerns manufacturers and many people across the sector. Now, I actually was lucky enough to... Be part of hosting a webinar last week with the British Safety Industry Federation, which you guys can all listen to on demand. And I'll tell you the link in a moment. And it talks about the future of um, CE and UKCA markings and what will likely happen come the end of this year, which is only five weeks away, Brian, from now, believe it or not. It's been a long year for all of us, but it is not long till 2021, thank heavens. But with that comes a lot more problems or potential problems. And That was addressed head-on we did a webinar under our sister title called health and safety matters and we had over a thousand people take part we had gosh over 200 questions now we didn't go through 200 questions obviously on the webinar brian but if you've got concerns or interest in UKCA marking, which is very relevant for the fire safety sector, please do go and take a listen to that. It's free. You can get CPD points for it as well. Just go to hsmsearch.com. That's hsmsearch.com. Click on the webinars tab, and it's it's the top webinar up there um, with the British Safety Industry Federation, which is BSIF, and it's all about UKCA marking. So that is, you know, that's not just a a prompt for you to go and listen to one of our other webinars. This is something that is very relevant to all of you and do feel free to get in touch with me if you have any questions you want me to pose to the BSAF on the back of that because they'd be delighted to hear from you. So Brian, just, so let's just go back to the story that I, I was I was covering for a moment. So obviously this is on the Worldwide Fire Safety Standard which has been recognised by the UN. I think you've got a little bit more you want to add to it.
0: I do indeed Mark. The implementation of a new common approach to design, construction and building management aimed to help restore public confidence in fire safety and ultimately underpin an improved quality of life that's very much in line with the UN's own sustainable development goals. Gary Strong, Global Building Standards Director at the RICS and also Chair of the IFSS coalition, has stated, and again I quote, The UN's endorsement of our approach to fire safety follows two years of hard work from those who made up our coalition. It's a seminal moment for the public interest and for governments worldwide who want to keep their citizens safe. Strong went on to comment, By ensuring a clear and consistent approach which puts fire safety at the heart of buildings, whether located in Mumbai, Cairo or London, we can help to save lives and drive down the risk of serious injury or death from devastating fires. The standard itself, Mark, delivers a clear performance-based framework that applies to all stages of a building's life cycle, from design, construction and in-use, through to change and eventual demolition. That framework can be defined as follows. Prevention, that's all to do with safeguarding against the outbreak of fire and or limiting its effects. Detection and Communication, that's about investigating and discovering fire, followed by informing occupants and the Fire and Rescue Service. Occupant Protection, this is focused on facilitating occupant avoidance of and escape from the effects of fire. Containment, this is about limiting a fire and all its consequences to as small an area as possible. Extinguishment, suppressing a fire and protection of the surrounding environment. So all in all, a pretty comprehensive piece of work has been fashioned here, Mark.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, there's not a lot that I can really add to that. I mean, it's never easy to get an internationally recognised code of practice or standard that's universally adopted across the world. You know, it's, it's a lofty ambition. You would think it would just make sense that everyone would follow a certain standard. It doesn't quite work that way. Politically it doesn't work that way. But there's nothing to disagree with here in terms of an aspiration. So it's it's an interesting step. Be interesting to see where it goes from here and you know we'll keep an eye on it with interest. So. Now is the time where we normally introduce our, our first guest. And I'll let Brian do that in a moment. But just uh, to let everybody know, we would also normally have Warren Spencer with us on the podcast. Uh, Warren is still in the middle of a, a trial. And also, he's very, very busy at the moment preparing a conference we're doing together, which takes place just next week on the 3rd of December. So if you and that's all to do with the new fire safety bill. So, Warren, we'll be back on the next episode of the podcast. But this is pretty much your last chance to take part in that uh, conference. It's a three hour conference that we're doing digitally with Warren and also Joseph Hart, who's the leading fire safety barrister in the UK. So we've got the leading fire safety lawyer and the leading fire safety barrister all in one place. So it will cover everything you need to know about what changes will happen through the new fire safety bill and the amendment that will make to the fire safety order. So I would encourage everybody to go onto our website to um, register take part in that. And you just need to go to fsmatters.com and click on the webinars tab and it's right there. But next to the Backhurst Bud logo, which is Warren's business so Warren will be back next time with us but unfortunately couldn't be with us today so at this point I will throw over to Brian to say uh, who our first guest is this week
0: once again, we have two guests who join us for the initial interview on this episode of the Fire Safety Matters podcast. Those guests are Wayne Woodland and Matthew Flower of Miller Knight, one of the UK's leading remedial passive fire protection specialists. Wayne served in Her Majesty's forces from 2003 until 2007, operating as a surveyor in the Corps of Royal Engineers. On leaving the armed forces, he worked as a topographical surveyor for the Greenhatch Group, moving to Matthews and Talent Limited in 2010 to become a building surveyor. Business Development Manager roles at both L'Oreal and 19 19- Telecom followed before Wayne joined Miller Knight in April 2017 as pre construction manager. Wayne's current role as pre construction director for Miller Knight, which he has held since the summer of 2018, involves developing working relationships with clients while also identifying and reporting business opportunities in target markets. Matthew Flower has worked in the construction sector for over 30 years now and is the holder of a first-class honours degree in quantity surveying from Nottingham Trent University. Matthew spent 12 years with large-scale regional contractor the Lindham Group, beginning in the role of quantity surveyor and eventually becoming managing director. In March 2014, Matthew left the business to become commercial director for tier one national contractor Simons Construction. Along the way, Matthew has gained great experience with mainstream construction, encompassing student accommodation, high-rise residential buildings, medical centres, schools, hospitals, offices, commercial buildings and retail outlets. Matthew joined Miller Knight in October last year to concentrate on expanding the refurbishment element of the business. During the podcast interview, Matthew focuses on a number of core topics including fire safety installations. First though, Wayne concentrates on changes in the new build sector post Grenfell. Matthew, thank you very much for joining us on the Fire Safety Matters podcast this week. Wayne, first of all, what changes have you seen in the new build sector regarding fire protection post grantal Is the general feeling that fire safety is now
2: becoming more of a specialism with uh, third-party accreditation being sought after by your clients? Yeah, definitely. i have seen a huge change, uh, mainly the awareness and, and the importance of fire protection across, across the sector. Um, It's quite tragic to say that probably prior to Grenfell, it was something that was misunderstood and overlooked. Uh, But yeah, definitely seen a change within that. It's really focused now on making sure, you know, compliance uh, details are installed and they're really on top of that. I suppose... I've always seen it as a specialism. Uh, it's, it's really important. It, it plays a massive part within the safety of the structure of the building, but also you know the occupants of that building. And that's really important. Whether it's been seen as a specialism by others, uh, I wouldn't like to comment. What I can say though is it's definitely changed and it's becoming apparent that our advice and uh, engagement is highly sought after. With regards to third party accreditation, it, it is the first question that gets asked by the contractors these days. You know, Do you hold that? Um, I completely understand why, you know, they've got to look after so many different areas. And it, all it shows is, shows that we're competent as a company uh, in the specialism that is fire protection. Uh, and it allows them to to kind of put the emphasis on to us, I suppose, as, as the specialist. So, yeah, it's definitely something that we see asked a lot more. And do you face challenges when trying to emphasise the importance of fire safety? And if so, what sort of challenges are they? yeah we see lots of challenges uh, admittedly is getting better and you know as more education goes out out in the in the marketplace i'm sure it, it will actually become obsolete in the future but some typical challenges that we faced are cost you know it's very very rare throughout the procurement process that fire protection is is thought about or at least a realistic budget is, is put there it's usually just a percentage of a of another package and it Unfortunately, it results in people looking to cut corners to keep costs down at the back end. I suppose lack of understanding regarding the performance of products. There's a misconception out there that it's just bat and mastic and, you know, you can just install that. It it really isn't. There's so many different variables that need to be taken into account, you know, such as integrity and insulation, acoustic ratings. The wall type details that need to be installed, you know, is it a single board? Is it a double board? Is it timber frame? Is it masonry? The services is actually running through those apertures. Is it combustible? Is it non-combustible? Does it have sufficient annular gap? Is there enough space in between services? There's lots and lots of different things to think about. Um, and getting that over it is quite difficult because it's confusing because they haven't got the experience or the knowledge hasn't been given to them. Um, yeah, that, that is quite hard to get over sometimes. Um, so, yeah. And then, although people are becoming more aware of the importance of fire protection, it's still sometimes an afterthought, if I'm honest. Um, you know, it tends to be last minute for oh, quick, we need to get the fire stopping installed. And we do come across it a lot, you know, challenges such as all the services have been ran, the ceilings have actually started to, to go up and then we get called in, can you come and fire stop this? And it's really difficult from an access point of view, you know, and, and it, if they want it compliant, it results in having to take ceilings down, even so moving services. It's just a near impossible scenario. Um, So, yeah. What additional changes do you envisage being required to ensure that the good progress you've witnessed over the past few years is continued going forward, Wayne? A few different changes spring to mind. First, allowing for the fire stopping within the tendering stage of new developments, as mentioned earlier, something that is overlooked early engagement and strong collaboration between contractors fire protection companies dry lining companies and m e they all go hand in hand and should be aligned to ensure compliance solutions detailed prior to any works commencing on site something that we currently offer actually to selected partners who are really up to date with fire and the the importance and, and trying to to make sure that it's done correctly. It works really well when all those parties collaborate and you you, you get a compliant, efficient solution uh, and it it makes the process really easy. And then I suppose that the main thing is more education. As I've mentioned, there's so many variables and yeah, the education really needs to go out there just to make sure that um, all buildings and occupants are safe and we minimize the potential of any more unnecessary tragic incidents.
0: And uh, Matthew, what types of regeneration projects are you typically involved with on a day-to-day basis?
3: So we specialise in the retrospective installation of passive fire protection, both internally and externally, uh, which includes fire doors. And this, this will range from simple rectification work in, say, a service riser, all the way through to, to multi-million pound schemes, uh, complete building refurbishments, and, and it all arises from the need to make the building safe. Uh, the majority of our work is in, in high-rise residential blocks, working in the communal corridors, service riser areas, but also within the flats themselves. Um, and this can either be for the original developers or owners, often sometimes the original builder or housing association or even a university. they range in value from just a few thousand pounds if um, if there's minimal amount of work required, like I said, right up to multi-million pound schemes. Um, but I'd say most of them are in the, the 250 to seventy. Uh, 750k bracket and and yeah that's that's sort of project we normally get involved with typically following a, an an
0: FRA. And what's the general extent of the work transacted and has this changed following the increase in Type 4 fire risk assessments?
3: Yeah, I mean we, we've certainly seen an increase in, uh, in in better quality fire risk assessments um, and and you know, we we like to engage as early as possible uh, with a fire risk assessment of a project and uh, work with them to determine the extent of the works that required uh, and develop some suitable solutions. More and more, we're finding that we're asked to attend now with the FRA to provide some support during that uh, that Type 4 survey because they're finding that our expertise and experience over the years, they're getting added benefit. They're not just getting somebody to come down and just open up and then put back again. They're actually We're actually collaborating with them and coming up with some of the, the better solutions for some of the problems that we find where things are either defective or quite often just come completely missing. I mean, in our experience, 90% of the buildings that we're asked to look at, they require far more than we've, uh, we've, has been originally anticipated by, by say, the building manager. Um, there's clearly been a considerable lack of understanding by all involved in, in the construction process for, for many years. Um, certainly when it comes to ensuring that the final building um, has been constructed correctly. And obviously areas such as fire protection and service rises or issues with fire doors are usually just the starting point with the requirements just extending far beyond this. Um, it's not like a new build project. It's a bit of a case of uncovering what's there. And what we typically find is, is just a, a lack of information relating to the original build. Fundamentals such as the original fire strategy drawings, they're, they're often not available, or if they are, they're considerably out of date. They don't align with the finished build. Nobody's updated anything to reflect as-built conditions. So, so finding out what has been built can be really, really difficult. Um, sometimes work has been carried out post-construction. Um, we've often seen quite a bit of fire, um, passive firework carried out, but it's, it's often of a really poor quality. Um, and certainly a lot of it has no records or details. Um, so in simple terms, there, there just isn't there is none, there is no golden thread. Um, it comes down to an element of, Interpretation investigation. And then it will come down to the installations themselves. So what do we do? We you know it's typically the service penetrations which have got no ceiling. We've got use of incorrect materials, you know, extensive use of pink foam. Um, somebody made a lot of money a long time ago using a lot of pink foam, uh, certainly around collars, penetrations, incomplete works in the in the compartment construction, tops of walls, board joints not sealed above ceiling level. And you get above that senior level, it's as if it just didn't matter. Um, crossover points between trades uh, around door frames, sockets, switches and the like. Um, then we find ad hoc detailing. That's quite common where somebody's just been asked to go around and uh, uh, they've maybe used a bit of bat. They could have used a bit of plasterboard. They've used bits of mastic. Um, and on more severe schemes, uh, we're finding issues with the petitions in the structural walls. They've just not been installed to manufacturer's instructions, missing studs, fixings, board centres, uh, all ahead injunction detailing, it's all wrong. But th- that's on the more severe scheme. And again, fire doors, the usual problem, not being maintained, actually. The seals aren't good on them, the hinges are no good, closes alignment. And then of late, obviously, with the EWS1 forms, We're finding they're highlighting significant issues with fire breaks, and I know uh, just recently, obviously, some announcement that it's not required. The masonry structures um, so much, but um, we're finding that there's just as many problems with those as there are with cladding. How widespread do you say these issues really are within the industry? Well, like I said earlier, in our experience, 90% of the buildings we look at, they they require far more work than than was ever originally anticipated. Um, Extremely, extremely wide ranging. It's just been a a considerable lack of understanding by all involved in that original construction process for many years. Certainly, when it comes to to, to ensuring the final building is, is all been constructed correctly, quite serious neglect really. And uh, obvious areas such as fire protection and the service rise, they, they, they're just the starting point, um, and, and works extend far beyond into the escape routes and the rest. And actually, over ninety percent of the buildings that we go and look at have all got some some serious significant
0: issues inside. Given the fact that more and more buildings are being found to have poor fire safety installations, Matthew, how do you ensure that such works are being carried out correctly? Key for us
3: is having experienced, knowledgeable site managers and and quality inspectors overseeing qualified and and competent tradesmen. We we, we take this extremely seriously. and Apart from the the extensive in-house training we have, the, the, the important part is making sure that when our, our managers and operatives are on site they're actually installing things correctly so they need to know what it is they're doing they've got understand the reason they are there is is to put this in and make sure it's done correctly all our new operatives they're put they're put through the paces um and, and all our on-site work is overseen by a trusted long-standing supervisor we've got really close relationships with with manufacturers our site managers speak to them daily they're sending communications across to them photographs of things they find in emails you know, if we come across something and we're not sure, we don't guess. We will, we will check and we will make sure that what we install is is to a tested detail. Everything we do is, is obviously recorded on a software system. You know, that, that's something which we've had in place for many years, and we have a dedicated team who check through this. They check that the works you know, they're properly recorded. They're checking for accuracy. Um, they raise any queries immediately in real time so that we can we can drop on it straight away. And our site managers, you know, they're extremely proactive. They're out there inspecting continuously and, and everything is given a, a visible check even before it's covered up. And, and I suppose that's what's key. When I look at what has been done in the past, people have not actually gone out, understood what's required and then ensured it's actually been done. And then when we're working on the projects, you know, our site managers, they, they, they walk the course um, during the day. And at the end of the day, they check everything's left. It's clean. The covers are all off. Everything in that building is left safe. Um, for the occupants and, and as, as it should be making sure there's no
0: issues and finally matthew what are some of the main challenges for the future and how do you see them being overcome competence across the board really i think that uh, for years
3: buildings have been constructed or, or refurbished with uh, just a lack of consideration for the fire protection element it's been just been completely misunderstood my, my concerns are that that some of the people and companies that were involved back then and over the last 20 years decide that they're well-suited to carry out this work, um, which, without some considerable training, that they are not going to be. Retrospective passive fire protection works require serious in-depth knowledge from, from multiple sources. The whole team approach from our side is required. Everybody should feel free to raise questions. If they think something isn't right, raise it. Um, solutions should be discussed. We've seen so many instances where, where the work schedule just doesn't cover what is required. And then we've seen instances where clients have had work that isn't required done but work that is required not done but from our side i think that yeah we're looking forward to working collaboratively and from our side honestly you know we're here to make sure that these buildings are put safe and they're put back to how they should have been in the first place and so yeah competence across the board clients using the right people and of course finance going to come down to money that's going to be be one of the tricky factors you know, most of the larger property owners have undertaken risk reviews identified issues and they extend far beyond what they initially thought and we've got a lot of sympathy for building owners who've got got no recourse back to original contractors so i think that that's 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 going to continue to be a problem it's, it's gone on from the cladding gone on to the inside and i think that's that's just going to going to take some time really
0: Turning to the news now and the National Fire Chiefs Council is calling for frontline personnel across all UK fire and rescue services to use body-worn cameras following on from what the organisation describes as a spate of mindless attacks on operational fire crews. In a video shared on the NFCC's social media channels, various crew members reveal shocking first-hand stories and footage of firefighters being pelted with fireworks and verbally abused by members of the public. Between 2015 and this year, There have been upwards of 3,800 attacks on firefighters. In 2019-2020 alone, around 950 attacks were recorded in England and Scotland. That's not taking into account this year's bonfire night period, but itself witnessed a sharp rise in the volume and severity of attacks, with fireworks, stones and bricks being thrown at fire crews. Such attacks risk impacting the mental and physical health of firefighters themselves. In some areas of the country, Mark, Firefighters can no longer attend certain types of fires unless they have a police escort. The NFCC has warned that such fires can escalate quickly into large-scale blazes, putting properties and potentially lives at risk. Chris Lowther, chair of the NFCC's operations committee and also chief fire officer for and Weir, has commented, I'm disgusted that firefighters are being attacked when trying to protect the communities they serve and ultimately save lives. We need to see custodial sentences handed out. It's clear that we need a deterrent which makes people think twice. Lather continued, These mindless attacks are abhorrent. If one or two members of staff are injured on a shift, this can result in fire appliances having to be taken off the road while other members of staff are then called in. This leaves communities at risk if there's a major incident. Lowther, in fact, features on the video along with NFCC Chair Roy Wilshire, who also insists that the attacks must stop. Wilshire has commented, I know that chief fire officers in every UK fire and rescue service care about the health and well-being of all firefighters. It's something that each and every one of them takes very seriously. I would urge them to think about body-worn camera technology to help to protect their crews. The cameras can be a superb operational aid when it comes to debriefing incidents. They can also record assaults and bring those attacking firefighters to justice. On that last point, Wilshire observed, While jail sentences for attacks on fire crews have been increased from 12 to 24 months, We now need to see these imposed to send a clear message. Emergency services staff must be treated with the respect they deserve. The blue light services are here to keep people safe. On a personal note, Mark, I simply had to focus on this story because its contents are alarming in the extreme. What sort of society have we created where emergency services workers are attacked for doing jobs that save lives? I think it's a national disgrace, to be honest, Mark. To my mind, the Home Office has to get to grips with this issue now. The lack of respect for law and order and basic behavioural decency in this nation is something that has been neglected for far too long now. We're also at a point where the courts must recognise the reality of the situation and deliver meaningful punishments for such disgusting wrongdoings. Where is the deterrent for this kind of criminality? But that's exactly what it is. What do you think, Mark?
1: Sometimes, Brian, I wonder if you pick stories like this to cover, just because you know I'm going to rant. Uh, and i'm going to go on a rant now as you know i i was (laughs) as soon as you picked this probably i mean i just literally cannot fathom in what world do we live in where it is acceptable in any way shape or form to attack a member of the the fire and rescue service who are there literally to save lives they're not there to antagonize you know we've all heard the arguments in terms of um you know, police brutality and, and you know, I'm a big um, supporter of the police and, and what they're, they're trying to achieve because they're there to protect us. But you cannot say anything in terms of the Fire service that they are there to serve and protect. And what kind of mindless idiot or thug thinks it's acceptable to attack firefighters in any situation? I mean... Let's just look at the economic side rather than the the side of terms of people and and lives at risk for a minute. Just the fact now that fire and rescue services have to be supported by police to attend certain incidents because of worry about being attacked is a giant waste of money. It's not in a sense that it's needed to protect these people that are delivering a vital service, but it is a truly awful indictment on our society that that has to happen. Now, you've come out and you've said, Brian, there's 3,800 attacks um on firefighters in uh, you know upwards of that in 2019 and 2020 alone there were around 950 attacks in england and scotland so that 3800 figure is, is between 2015 and now as you covered that is just shocking i mean you, you said you're appalled yeah i'm absolutely appalled as well i've said on this podcast and on the health and safety matters podcast that that i host that everyone has a right to come home from work safely firefighters well they risk their lives they do a fantastic job a vital job that keep us all safe but the fact that they are out there potentially under abuse verbal or physical it's just simply not acceptable so if you're asking me Brian do I support the use of body-worn cameras I do I, I, I do in the sense that it's going to be needed so you have evidence to then prosecute people that do this for me there should be serious penalties, um, cus- serious custodial sentences if you actually mindlessly attack a member of the public service, whether it be ambulance or hospital staff, police or fire and rescue service. They, more than anybody, deserve to be protected. It yeah. feels like a giant waste of money, in theory, having to invest in body wall cameras, is expense you shouldn't have to have. But it's not, because this is going to be the evidence that we're going to need to get people off the streets that attack people so unfortunately this is a necessary cost Brian that will hopefully go hand in hand with stronger penalties enforcement penalties to scare people off doing it and hopefully if people think they're being filmed it can be used against them if they decide to make these stupid attacks that it will be another deterrent because any deterrent to protect firefighters is needed so I think you suspected Brian didn't you that I might go on one of my rants on this but I can't think of anything more mindless and stupid than attacking a firefighter. So, now I've uh, calmed down from that. We'll go on to a uh, a positive industry story. So, the Fire Industry Association, the FIA, who obviously you know we have a close partnership with, have done their annual general meeting, and it's this time of year when they they appoint. Or reappoint board directors so the FIA has announced the appointment of two new directors to its board and they are Robert Campbell from Detector Testers and Don McFarlane of Honeywell. Both very well known to the sector. I've met both before, we're both good guys and really have something to add to the FIA. So to give you a bit more background on on Robert Campbell, he's held numerous high profile positions managing businesses around the world, including companies here in the UK, France, Germany, Asia. Many of his roles have been within the fire industry Most recently, as managing director of Cooper Fullion and Cooper Fire Systems, and since September 2017, as the managing director of detector testers. So, Donald McFarlane served in the fire industry for over 35 years now and has spent the last 20 of them with Honeywell. He started his career as an electrician and was awarded the Apprentice of the Year. He later joined Honeywell as an area sales manager specifically focused on Scotland and later managed the Gent sales team. So McFarlane took over his present role as UK commercial director at the start of 2018 and obviously he brings a wealth of experience to the FIA board. So in addition to this, with people coming in, people obviously have to go out, David Murphy and Aston Bowles have now left the FIA uh, board of directors. And, you know, I know Aston very, very well, um, and he's just taking up a new role in the fire sector, for which we wish him the very best of luck. And the FIA has said it recognises a commitment shown by David and Aston, who were not re elected for their service, especially to David, who served on the FIA's board for over 16 years. Both will continue to be involved in the FIA, being part of the marketing team and looking after the Internet of Things focus project, respectively. Yeah, both have done great service to the sector in the FIA. There's a long list of FIA directors that have been reappointed. You know, I, I, I could name them all, but, you know, it is freely available over on the FIA website. They all do a fantastic job because it is. It is a voluntary role, this directorship. It's not a paid role. And the great thing that Ian Moore has continued to do over there as chief executive officer of the FIA has been to really get experienced people from the fire sector and from a, you know, a whole wide range of the fire sector to act as directors and give key feedback on the strategic direction for the FIA. And as an organization, the FIA has grown at a tremendous rate in recent years. It It is a real leader in fire safety training, for example, it is a respected voice in government now in terms of opinion. And what's good about the FIA is it, it, it does it isn't just about fire officers, Brian. It's not like many associations have always focused just on firefighting and, and, and chief fire officers opinions. And that is, of course, vitally important. What I'd say for the FIA is it really, truly represents the industry as a whole and and when I call the fire industry that that the industry I'm talking about there is all of you listening really it, it is people that are installers, end users, consultants, risk assessors. You are what I would call the fire industry whereas I would call firefighters more that you know the fire and rescue side of the industry. So. You know, it's important that we continue to support the FIA, both as FSM as a magazine and us as a sector, because we need a respected voice to government for lobbying, and they are an association that truly is trying to push forward standards and quality of work in terms of fire safety. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that, Brian?
0: Yes, there are a few bits, Mark. Uh, Derek Gotts, chairman of the FIA's board, has said We extend a warm welcome to our new board members who bring a fresh perspective and a new set of skills and experience to the FIA. I want to thank those board members who stood down for their support and wise counsel over the years. The 2020 FIA Annual General Meeting brought together no fewer than 100 members of the organisation and industry leaders, Mark. Due to the COVID-19 restrictions and lockdown, the annual lunch element of the event sadly didn't take place, while the AGM itself was of course, conducted online. The digital agm proved to be a seamless and well-delivered series of presentations that recapped what was undoubtedly been an unprecedented and productive year for the organization during the event fia ceo ian moore duly recognized exceptional contributions made to the fire safety industry this year mark derek harrington received the fia's prestigious lifetime achievement award and ian moore cited some of harrington's key achievements and paid tribute to the latter's long-term service to the fire sector mark i'm sure you will join me and everyone on the team here at fire safety matters in sending Derek many congratulations on a richly deserved award.
1: Yeah, very much richly deserved. That that award has been handed out for a number of years as part of the FIA annual luncheon. It always sells out. This is going to be the first time I was going to take you, Brian, if it hadn't been the pandemic. It is a truly great networking opportunity. It has serious business before it in terms of an AGM for the FIA, which is fundamentally important to any association. But it really is a great social gathering and you know I feel very sorry for everyone at the FIA and any event organiser in general that literally can't do anything is the pandemic at the moment but but Ian Renata and their team did a great job of getting everything digitally there were certainly no complaints from members of how it panned out and I know they'll be very very keen to get the luncheon on next year, and of course, you know our partnership with the FIA really kicks into a new gear next year. You know we we've launched the Fire and Security Matters Awards, which are in partnership with the FIA, and entries for that will open on the first of May next year. It'll be free for any of you to enter. We will definitely be coming back to this next year on the podcast to talk about it, and of course, the winners will be announced. and We'll have a great gala dinner in March twenty twenty two at the Ricoh Arena is very much the plan on that one. And of course, Brian, you're going to be you know intricately involved in the FIA annual guide to UK fire safety which we will be sending out to all FSM readers and all FIA members in December 2021 There's a new exciting annual guide to UK fire safety that we are doing FSM in partnership with the FIA so all of you listening if you are getting a copy of the magazine or you'd like to get a copy of FSM just go to fsmatters.com, and if you register up for free there, you will also get a copy of the FIA Guide to UK Fire Safety in December next year. That's going to be something you know truly different and truly informative. So the FIA continue to branch out what they're doing, and, and, and as they said, with that award recognition they have there, we're going one step further in a partnership to have a number of awards next year, which we will fill everybody in on later in the year. So, Brian, without further ado, I'm going to throw it back to you. Maybe you can tell us who our final guest is on this episode of the podcast.
0: Our final featured guest on episode 16 of the Five Fifty Matters podcast is Peter Jones, the CEO at Exhibitions and Event Specialist, The Nineteen Group. Peter began his career with an advertising manager's role at EMAP in 1992 before moving on to Blenheim and Miller Freeman in 1995. This is when he experienced his first taste of exhibitions and the live events arena by working as an account manager. 1998 saw an appointment as event director at the Tarsus Group and a remit to build the flagship Label Expo event from 17,000 square metres to 30,000 square metres of floor space in just four years. From May 2002, Peter spent 10 years as CEO of Niche Events, which was eventually sold to Carrion in 2009. Peter moved to the 19 Group in May 2012, and has served as the company's CEO since November 2018. In conversation with Mark, Peter concentrates on why the 19 Group has taken the decision to move the Fire Safety event from next April to early September, and also outlines why live events continue to be so vital for the fire sector as a whole.
4: Morning, Peter. How are you? i oh, very well, thank you, Mark, and thanks for having me on.
1: It was rather strange interviewing uh, my old boss. Um, And of course, this time last year, you and I were going through uh, the stresses of a management buyout where we bought um, Fire Safety Matters and Western Business Media from you. So this November, December, it's slightly less stressful for the pair of us, I would say, in terms of that front.
4: Well, Mark, let's say all good things come to those that wait. And it was uh, was an absolute pleasure to go through that process. And we're thrilled um, that the stable of publications ended up in, in the right hands. So thank you.
1: Well now we appreciate the opportunity and and now I want to talk about something that's close to your heart and mine. Obviously I founded or part was part of the team that founded the fire safety event and you know you've got more news for us on the fire safety event which was obviously scheduled to take place in April next year at the NEC in Birmingham. So I believe you've got some news for us on a date change Peter. Can you tell us when the fire safety event will take place?
4: Uh, Yeah, so we moved it to the 7th to the 9th of September in 2021. Uh, So it was at the end of April and now at the beginning of September.
1: I mean, obviously everyone that's an exhibitor um, or potential delegate and certainly us as well feel <coughs> dreadfully sorry for you guys it's a live events business you know you can't run events at the moment from the restrictions that have been put in place by the government obviously we had news just yesterday from Boris Johnson about hopefully the end of lockdown which we hope will be next week as planned and opening up a sports stadium in certain tiers of up to 4,000 people so I'm pretty sure knowing you as I do you'll be full of optimism that uh, the can take place in september so can i ask you are you confident it will take place in september 2021 and what's your view on the current state of the world of covid obviously health is the most important thing but you have a business to run and a sector to support what are your feelings at the moment of not being able to run an event for what will nearly be two years by the time this takes place
4: Uh, Thank you, Mark. Um, Well, first of all, I'll answer the the first question. Are we confident about September next year? Yes, absolutely. Um, Are we confident that there'll be events running by April next year? Yes. Could the event have run in the, you know, we were literally the final days of April, so it's more May than it was April. Um, You know, could it have run? Uh, We think uh, absolutely, yes. Um, one of the main reasons we moved it, Mark, uh, was really for confidence for the exhibitors. Um, you know what we do here. We appreciate that all of those exhibitors, uh, the fire safety event, you know, spend huge amounts of money, not just on the stand, but the design, build, hospitality, getting their teams there. Exhibitions. and One of the reasons I love this field so much um, is one of the most important marketing decisions any company will ever make. Um, so it's all well and good, you know, saying, "Look, as of yesterday, the business events are now, um, you know, back open and running, um, albeit only a capacity of a thousand inside." Um, so that's not enough yet to run a, a show the size and scale of fire safety events. Um, but come the end of April, you know, will that be increased? Uh, we absolutely would expect it to be. And could the event have run? Uh, yes, we think it could. Um, the thing is, Mark, is that around January, um, exhibitors need to be making really critical decisions to their business for the run on commitment of costs, you know. Um, and uh, we just don't think it was fair um, to ask them to commit to those, um, you know, without absolute clarity. So we've all seen the good news. We've seen, you know, the third vaccine now. We're, you know, reaching a ninety percent efficacy, um, and with the rollout starting next month in December, um, you know, we and and the Prime Minister confirming even yesterday that come Easter, you know, that uh, you know that rollout should be done, or at least for the most vulnerable. You know, that's the turning point for the country. Uh, then September uh you know to answer that question yes absolutely we feel confident about that date and that gives it the exhibitors you know enough time to fully prepare for the event and it gives us as an organizer enough time in terms of the visitors to make sure that we deliver what we always do and that's a good quality busy event
1: now we'll obviously focus a bit more in a moment about what the fire safety event is what it hopes to achieve and, and why you should attend but It's not just a fire safety event that's moved to the 7th, 8th and 9th of September next year. There's far more to it. One ticket gets you access to quite a bit and and more than ever would probably be the words you're telling me now. Can you tell us a bit more about what other shows are taking place at the same time than in your stable?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, obviously, alongside the fire safety events, there's the security events, there's the health and safety events and the facilities event. Um, And that's great, Mark, because all of those events have, you know, really good crossover. Um, It's not just for the exhibitors, they can see a crossover of different types of visitors who are also relevant. Um, But also for the visitors as well, because sometimes we forget. We focus a lot on the exhibitors and quite rightfully they pay for the show. They're our showmakers and we're hugely grateful to their support. We would not be here without those exhibitors. Um, But also getting the visitors to an event, especially these days, you know, when they work harder than ever. Getting a day out of their schedule to attend any event is a huge ask, mark um, and to get them to you know, one event, the fire safety event, but also give them access to so many other events, all free of charge with crossover relevance, um, increases their return on investment and their investment is a day out of their time. In fact, I would suggest they do the two or three days because we've got a huge amount of content in 2021. And for the first time, it's co-located with the emergency services show, um, and this is thrilling news um, here. Um, but for, that's an event that's been around 16 years. Um, the 450 exhibitors, uh, emergency services, but you know a big focus there on fire, uh, more the fire response uh, side, um, and so for that to be running alongside gives a really lovely co-located, good, strong story. For
1: September, um, it's fascinating for me because obviously I was involved in your business at the time that you acquired the emergency services well, uh, show, and I know how excited you were about it coming in. and And we yeah. spoke about it privately. You asked me for my for my thoughts on it, and I said, for me, what really set this event apart now is it covers both parts of the fire sector um that you know the fire service emergency response as you said and of course the wider fire industry as we would call it um which is you know property protection life safety so it is of course the only place now only event in the uk where you can service both markets and there certainly is overlap from fire and rescue to the to the wider market so it's it's, it's definitely exciting for me um, to see it, and I'm very much looking forward to attending. But you know, before we talk a bit more about the fire safety event, I know from knowing you, this has been an incredibly frustrating business time for you in terms of just waiting for answers You know, for what you do as a business, and this is your lifeblood, and I know you're very passionate about the importance of live events. So I just wanted, for people that haven't heard you speak on this before... Why are live events so important, Peter? Um, and 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 furthermore, how have you personally coped with the uncertainty of not knowing when you can run a live event? we finally, it looks like light at the end of the tunnel for you.
4: Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, thank you, Mark. How long have I got? I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and keep this succinct. Why are live events important to me? Um, it's uh, you know. <laughs> But for the moment, we're all born uh, and we're put into the, you know, straight into the arms of our mother or father. Um, It's contact is one of the most important things. And there's three things for us humans that if you starve us of uh, will become a problem. Um, Food, water and contact. Take any of those three away from a human being, and you, you're going to have a problem. Uh, which is why I think we saw, you know, when they reopened pubs earlier this year, we saw, the, you know, en masse people going back to the pubs. I, mean, I don't know whether that's part of a problem in the second wave or not. Um, but it proves, um, and a year of Zooming, you know, has proved, I think, as effective as Zooming has been, and the digital world has been a really critical support. Nothing, Mark, replaces human to human interaction. Um, And when you roll up the shutters to one of our shows, as as we've seen over the last couple of years, and you watch the crowds of thousands, you know, pour in and see such exciting innovation and you see the buyers meet sellers, you see the influencers and specifiers walking around looking for new ways to solve problems, nothing replaces it. Um, Am I frustrated over the last, uh, this 2020, Uh, the answer has got to be yes. Um, But you've got to draw positives out of this, Mark, because what COVID-19 has done for the physical event world, uh, I think has been in, in a bizarre way, and it feels weird to say this, but probably a great ally to us because it's forced everyone apart for a year. And not just, a, you know, the fire safety event or any exhibition or any event, but even families. And, you know, I remember Mother's Day earlier this year when I tried to get, you know, the grandparents and the children together all on a big Zoom call. Oh, my God. What, the, what a disaster. You're on mute. <laughs> um, and it's just that, that moment of realisation that just humans coming together, whether it be for, you know, work or play, is just so critical, and nothing's ever proved, um, you know, the need more than the pandemic. That you know we, but hopefully now I'd say we've turned the corner. We're at the, you know, the the beginning of the end of this pandemic now, and nothing's proved more the value of physical uh, trade events. So I think what we take out of this, um, Mark, is. We expect physical um, events to come back strongly. In fact, we really expect a hard rebound, because there will be such huge pent-up demand. Um, and I know your business and ours has done an incredible job of digital. We've, you know, we've teamed up with Western and done some fantastic webinars, and and I think those will always continue. And there'll be a great way to support. Um, you know, but nothing quite beats walking around an exhibition hall and seeing the types of stuff and kit and innovation you get your hands on at the fire safety event.
1: And I think it is time now to talk about the fire safety event. And, you know, I was there for its first iteration just three shows ago, um, which is now four years because of what everything's happened with the pandemic. And you know, from where it's come from to where it is now. Um, obviously, you've been able to invest heavily as 19 Group with private equity backing from from Phoenix and and really take that show to, to new heights that its previous company couldn't invest in the same way. And you've got leading brands there. Now, pretty much all the leading brands there now, Peter, from Apollo, Advanced, C-Tech, Kingspan. I could go on. I believe there's over 100 exhibitors. So yeah. I think I'm writing saying that if the show was to happen tomorrow, it would have more exhibitors in it than any other fire exhibition in the UK. So can I ask you, how have you managed that in such a short period of time, but also what sets the fire safety event apart from its competitors and other events in the UK?
4: Yeah, so in a short space of time, uh, look, I've been organising trade exhibitions for the best part of a quarter of a century um and uh, in that time for the last 18 years you know i ran a smaller owner driver type of business you know where from year to year you run an event you also run a very fine balance on cash flow so you're always you know concerned um trying to marry those two um and two years ago and you just mentioned private equity uh but i sold my organization to private equity i've remained as the group ceo um, and we're building a, a fantastic uh, group in 19 Group. Now, what that's enabled us to do over the last couple of years is just remove. And I'm not talking about a pandemic here. This is way before the pandemic. Remove that day-to-day worry, um, you know, of cash flow and worrying about every you know penny and pound spent on every feature and bit of content and piece of carpet, um, and just to really throw the kitchen sink at a fire, a show like the Fire Safety event. Um, Now, you mentioned, Mark, you've been on it since inception three years ago and, you know, yourself and the Western team uh, did a really tremendous job of getting a really good show going. Over the last couple of years, it's been for us an ability to accelerate the growth of the show, but almost just, you know, kind of draw up an entire wish list of what you would do with an event and just throw the kitchen sink at it, which we did um and when you do that and you create that kind of content you know one says if you build the dream they will come <laughs> um i mean there's there's so much content um and it's uh, you know you know, Mark's probably worth giving you a plug here. You do the content. Weston does the content for this show and it is brilliant. Um, You know, everything from the conference theatres, which are huge, they're packed, the quality of speakers, you'd only normally expect a paid for conference. Uh, That last uh, conference you ran where we had the home office speakers, you know, was absolutely packed. And then the demonstration content of the show, you know, we've got burns tests, we've got explosion tests, explosive tests Happening on the show floor um, all of this stuff is live immersive interactive demonstrations and I guess it draws back to a point I made earlier you only really get that you know at a, you know a physical live event and there's so much of it. And it's that, I think, that really attracts the right people, the quality people. And if you get the right visitors, which we do, you get the exhibitors, and then you cr- shows create their own momentum. Once you get that magic formula rolling, um, it's actually, it's, it's, it's very hard, sometimes if, if you even wanted to slow down that momentum. So you put all of those together. Uh, the partnership we've got with uh, Western, a uh, very special relationship, which we're very, very proud of, and your depth of experience in the fire sector. Um, And also the team here at 19 Group, we've got, you know, incredible dynamic vigor and commitment and passion, uh, you know, behind the show. If you put all of that together, I think that's probably why we've ended up very quickly with the biggest fire safety events um, in the UK, which we're very proud of. Well...
1: It would be wrong of me not to ask you a somewhat difficult question at this point, so I'll be intrigued to see uh, your response to this. Obviously, you will be aware that there are rumours, and there are rumours at this point, that your main competitor, FireX International, may or may not be up for sale at this point. So I'm going to pose a difficult question directly to you. Can you shed any light on that at all? Or, and if it were to be true, Would 19 Group be interested in acquiring it?
4: (laughs) Oh, thanks for the heads up, Mark. (laughs) Um, Right. Uh, Yeah, that is quite a tricky question. Um, So, first of all, are we aware it's up for sale? Um, You know, we've, I think, read the same press articles that you and I think others have probably already seen. It's been out there, I think, for a few weeks. Um, But it is potentially um, up for sale um, would 19 be interested in acquiring it? Well, part of the strategy of 19 Group, you know, is we're building the, the group, we've been acquiring, you know, many great events. Um, would we ever, you know, uh, not at least look or be interested in a possible acquisition of an event? Um, you know, n- no, we wouldn't. So we'd have to look at it. So, yes. So I guess in answer to your question, are, are we interested? Are we looking at it? Yes. Um, Do we think we would actually go ahead and acquire it? I think that would probably be a a, a bit challenging. Um, Because if we look at the last couple of years, you know, we've run a fire safety event from what we feel is the natural home. It's the NEC, it's the Midlands, Mark. Um, The same co-located events, the security event, um, you know, the natural home, the national home for a show like this and this type of audience has always been, if you look back to its roots many decades ago, um, it's in the heart of the Midlands, it's, you know, sort of fabulous, the NEC. That's where we're growing the fire safety event. As you've just covered, you know, we've had a great couple of years run and growing, you know, a really big, credible event. So would we acquire the same type of event in a London-based venue? It would be challenging, but it's not to say that, you know, we, we wouldn't, uh, at least look it
0: up I think is I'm,
4: that that's a very difficult question Mark is that <laughs> have I managed to circumnavigate that
1: I think I think you've uh, managed that uh, delicately and given an honest answer, um which is what you normally do when I ask you things on the spot this time you just got an audience too I uh, do it in front of but 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 certainly, I would agree with with you that the principles of what you 've built that show on and what you inherited were. It's the only truly national show in the UK that focuses on fire safety and it can be only that show because it's in the Midlands with the best transport network and and it really being the heart of the country from an installer and end user point of view it's the easiest place to get to. Um, you know, it is the natural home of fire safety in the past, and and it certainly looks like you've um, got people really excited about it again. So just to finish off then, Peter, can you just remind us one more time of the dateline for the show, and if people want more information, how can they find out more information about the fire safety event?
4: Uh, So the dateline is the 7th to the 9th of September 2021, Uh, co-located with the security events, the health and safety events, the facilities events, and the emergency services show. If you put all of those events together, Mark, we're about 1,000 exhibitors. It'd be about 28,000 visitors, although we've already got over 20,000 confirmed pre-registrations that we've reconfirmed, and we've now got 10 months to go to the show. So providing we've got that, uh, you know, um, with a, a plea to our government to get those vaccines rolled out, um and all the other measures that we've got in place we've got no doubt on delivering a really good busy show 7th and 9th of september 2021 um as for the website uh, mark i'm going to put you on the spot what is it
1: <laughs> well as i did set it up i can remember it yes it is uh, www.firesafetyevent.com i know that because we you are the proud sponsor of this podcast and we have to uh, say it every time that we start the show off so um thank you for continuing to support us we're very proud of our partnership with 19 group we are truly independent in that sense but we do you know the relationship that we have together yes we're proud to say that we've been offered the opportunity to put the content on across your shows it's another way to engage with our readership and your audience we want to widen the reach and the appeal of the magazine you want to widen the reach and appeal of your event it, it is the, it is the perfect match in that in that situation and as you can see despite um months of negotiating with each other we also get on great year <laughs> on so the relationship is strong <laughs> although we've aged each other um and it's been great fun for me this morning teasing you a little bit and catching up um so thank you for taking time to tell us what's going on and i wish you the best of luck for running in september
4: Well, thank you, Mark. We're very grateful. And, uh, and we look forward to rolling the shutters up and seeing you there.
0: Brings us to the end of this latest edition of the Fire Safety Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Wayne Woodland and Matthew Flower from Miller Knight and also Peter Jones of the 19 Group for their valued contributions. You can read more on the issues raised here and others by visiting the Fire Safety Matters website at www.fsmatters.com. We do hope you've enjoyed the content and found it useful. On that note, please do contact us if there are any particular themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming broadcasts. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag FSMPodcast. Do make sure you follow us on Twitter at fs_matters_mag. underscore mag. As a reminder, the Fire Safety Matters podcast is live to view every fortnight on Wednesdays. Please do like and share the content and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Fire Safety Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. All you need to do is enter the term Fire Safety Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time.